Frank, 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 we flew drones today and it was great. Yeah, there was uh, three hours of sunlight here in Seattle and we took all advantage of every minute of them. We went right up to the big clouds rolling in. That's very true. I mean, by the end of the day, we just saw those clouds roll in. We're like, we got to go get inside now. But it's very true. I mean, I was very sad because I got this Mavic Mini in the holidays and it's for all intents and purposes, rained every single day. And <laughs> when you work a nine to five job and the sun goes down at four, you can't really be flying that drone around at night too much. I mean, you could, but I don't think I could, to be honest with you. You know, hilariously, when I built my very first drones, I was working on them in the wintertime. And when I finished them, it was dark and it was rainy. And I took my creations off the table out into the dark and the rain and I flew them around because... It's Seattle. That's what we get and whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't mind uh, torturing my little drones, but it's nice that you actually take care of yours and you actually look at the conditions outside. I just look at it as, you know, it's going to land in a tree. It's going to land in a tree. Who am I to stop it? <laughs> yeah, it's a free spirit. You, you, you do you, uh, drone. But I will say, I want to before we get into our topic, I do want to thank you because you made me invest, you know, 20 bucks here and there and these small little nano drones that we had talked about on the pod one with and another without the auto stabilizer keep in place mechanism what's that thing called uh i don't know just call it like high level controls position hold altitude hold position hold that's kind of some drones i call manual you have to do all the fussing to kind of keep it in the air whereas other ones the computer is doing all the fussing yeah, and I bought one of each and I I trained on both of them and I I really believe it really helped me and then you gave me one of your home built drones and that didn't have any of the things and I think I did pretty okay. Yeah, let me actually compliment you on air publicly <laughs> so I don't regret this later. You did a great job. That was fantastic. I built a six propeller beast. It really is kind of a monster. It's it's overpowerful. Um it's yeah i don't know i i love the thing it's cut me a lot it's injured me a lot i used to have a controller on it and it would act randomly and so you had this like giant weed whacker flying at you from the air so i've learned over the years to be intimidated by it but you just picked up the controller and you flew it like a pro and that was awesome to see so fantastic work flying the beast yeah, it was uh, it was it was a joy. And you can see some of our coverage on our personal Twitters. Uh, I tweeted out some photos. Uh, so definitely go check those out. Um, if you're interested in the drone, it, it's you know, my footage is mediocre drone footage. So the only good one is the one there. I press a button and it just magically does a bunch of cool things. And you know what else I like to do, Frank? I love to write code and have some editor or IDE do magical things to make me more productive and there's this thing out there that I know nothing about that you keep telling me to give a try because I can write some C sharp in it. It's called Jupyter Notebooks, Frank. That's right. That's right, James. That was a smooth transition. I'm not going to trample over it by even mentioning it. Uh, yes. Uh, let's talk about Jupyter Notebooks. I've been wanting to talk about these for a while. Um, I was a little bit late to the game myself. They've been around kind of forever. They're a big technology in the Python space, so it's totally understandable why uh, you haven't personally used them in a while. But I think that they're pretty awesome. And so, yeah, let's talk about them. Uh, where to begin? Um, I don't know. You tell me. Well, the first place that I can imagine is 
what would I be doing in them? Like, why do I need them? What, what, what is this? Right. Why do I need it? Why? Right. So boy, it's, it's kind of hard because it's one of those technologies that you kind of have to use to fully kind of grok and understand why it would fit in. But let me do my best to kind of describe it. If you've ever used an interactive development environment, <laughs> that's funny. That's what IDE stands for, isn't it? <laughs> I meant I meant it like using adjectives, though, like an interactive one where uh, your code is running at the same time that you're executing. So this like could a be REPL. a REPL, a REPL, a REPL. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. But REPLs are so 1970s. Like REPLs are, here's a teletype and let's type in one line at a time. Like REPLs are fun in the beginning, like basic had a REPL, but they're not fun. You can't write real code in them. It's annoying. So what do we have instead? We have giant um, big text editors, and then we write code, we run it, we see the results. So the question was, are there middle grounds between these two? Can we keep it interactive? uh, And can we still have a code editor? So I have an app out there, James, Kalka. You used Kalka, right? I have used Kalka. Kalka is really great because it allows me to do mathematical equations for like in a... So it's like a calculator, hence Calca, but you create sort of variables and methods and other things such as plots that help you visualize your data or just kind of help you create a, a file, sort of a, a Calca file, maybe a Calca notebook of, of, of data. So an example of what I would do in Calca is um, maybe I want to figure out some mortgage of a house for example, and there's mortgage calculators out there, but you might have different, you know, how many months is it? How many years is it? What's your down payment? And then you can kind of just do equations like you were writing them in an IDE, uh, but Calca will execute them in line. So that allows you to easily come up with these different little formulas that are, are there. And if you did payments over time or were seeing like interest over time, you could plot that onto a, a very beautiful <laughs> chart thank you that. that was a great promo there i'd even yeah. pay you for that that was great yeah. um <laughs> the part that i was going for there was that you could see the results of your code kind of as you were typing it in so mm-hmm. i'm trying to bridge that gap between you know the the typing of the code and the execution of the code and so jupiter notebooks are another technology kind of playing in that same area like Kalka, they take documentation very seriously so it's these long markdown documents. I mean, physically, what a Jupyter notebook is, is you're running a tiny little web server on your computer and you're using a web app running on that web Mm. server. That's what a Jupyter notebook really is. So let's start there. Concrete stuff. You run this Jupyter program and it loads up a little uh, document editor. And that document editor has cells, kind of like Excel, but not really. (laughs) Um, And it's all just um, a vertical list of cells. So number one through a thousand, however much it takes for you to write a program, let's say. And then a cell can be text. So I could write markdown. It could be a picture. I could just drag files in or it could be code. If you type in code, then when you run that cell, the output of that code is put there. So you can think of it as kind of just a big um, hypermedia document that also includes code execution. And it turns out to be a really nice development environment. 
Well, so what type of things are you developing? And is this real production code? Is this more just a like a uh, a playground, if you will, that you're exploring? Well, it turns out it works really great in the scripting worlds. Um, so my first um, encounter with it was with Python. And yeah, I was doing machine learning. I think that's where these notebooks have really taken off is in the machine learning world. But they're not at all tied to that problem. They're a general purpose code editor, basically. Uh, but yeah, I ran into it using Python. And you asked a great question, like, is this just a playground or not? Because I think that that's the real test here, um, whether things are playgrounds or not. Number one, um, in some ways, it is better than production code in a, um, because it's a simple document. And if you get a server and you get their little Jupyter web server working, you can open the document. It simplifies deployment. It's single file deployment. So you can check these things into GitHub. They're just text documents. And you can move them around from server to server. So I think they passed the first test in that they're generally useful. And let me give a proper example of in the machine learning world, it is so hard to get a machine set up that can actually solve these problems correctly, getting the hardware set up, getting the OS set up, getting the driver set up. It's such a pain. And where these notebooks have really taken off is in your cloud-hosted environments. So the cloud will put up a crazy machine and you just throw your document on it and it executes the document. So they became really useful in that world. Oh, that is nifty. So you could set up the environment locally, but they're cloud enabled. So you could be doing number crunching, machine learning, or other things besides machine learning and just let remote magical machines crunch that stuff. Yeah, this is where it's design as a web server really makes it shine because anywhere that you can run this little web server, and it's not like something huge like IIS or um, Apache that you have to set up. It's just a little command line, you know, sets up a crappy little HTTP server, just like, you know, it's easy to create in .NET. And it hosts the app through that. This is really another thing that inspired me to create Wii. Because I saw that this deployment model of apps is kind of wonderful because you set up a cloud machine and as long as you can, you know, somehow execute <laughs> a program on that machine, all of a sudden it's a server, all of a sudden it's a way to talk and interact with that machine. Pretty wonderful. Yeah. That's pretty nice. So what what really have you been using it for? You said you did Python stuff. I mean, I know that you're... I know you're Frank, which means you can write every single code and write for every single platform and magically build drones and you're an electrician and you're an electro electrical engineer and you're an app builder and you're a, a wizard and you're a skier and you're, you're all these things, Frank. I actually don't know if you're all those things, but um, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> what, 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 but the Python, like, were you a Python person? Is that what kind of drove it to you? Or were you like, hey, I need to do machine learning and everyone's talking about this Jupyter Notebook? Like, what was your introduction to it? Well, I'm a little bit lucky because I fell in love with Python many, many years ago. I can totally do the hipster thing of like, I was into Python before it was cool. Um, <laughs> totally can do that. But um, that's not really why I use Python for machine learning. You use it because that's where all the libraries are, all the best libraries, all the sample code is written in Python. So sure, I, I technically have the knowledge and skills to do it in other languages and all that, but you're just fighting the current. It's not good to do that. Just 
workflow. <laughs> Everyone else is using Python. I'll use Python. Uh, but the good news is, oh, and then let me take another step back. I have always been into literate programming. Have you heard those terms before? I haven't heard them together, but let me take a stab at it and be incorrect. So lit- literate, is it is it sort of like the code, like when you're writing the code, by reading it back, it self-explains it? Or is that something different? That is a good piece of it, yes. Um, it has some specific definitions because um, Donald Knuth, that art of computer programming, famous computer science guy, you know him, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. He made up the term. Um, and what he was struggling with was he was writing code and he found kind of by necessity, code is more complex than you would like it to be. We can always strive for the Ruby perfection of if you read the code, you'll understand it. But it's just not true. <laughs> um, yeah. Sometimes you have to explain something. This is the whole thing, like comments or no comments. I'm generally a no no comments person, but where I put comments, I comment the heck out of it because I realize this code <laughs> is weirder looking than it should be. Let me explain why. <laughs> makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So he was struggling with that problem, and he invented this thing called literate programming. And he wrote um, tech and what became LaTeX in it, LaTeX, you might hear of. It's um, the documentation system that everyone writes their papers in. But oddly enough, the program he wrote to process those papers, he wrote in this literate style, which meant he he mixed the documentation of the code with the code itself. And then he wrote two programs. One program would take that mixed file and output a beautiful typeset book. Another program would take that and output C code, (laughs) stuff that that could actually compile. So he would author in this mixed environment and then use tools to generate those two artifacts that you actually need in the real world. This is an amazing idea. If you go to Donald Knuth's site, and if you want to be a self-studying computer science person like I am, you go to Donald Knuth's site and you literally read everything on his website. It's going to take you years. It's fine. Get through it. And what you'll find is the majority of his work ever since he wrote Tech and Law Tech is written in this literate style, meaning every brilliant thing he's written code for is thoroughly documented in beautiful English with excellent explanations. I've been in love with that style forever. I did my uh, parts of my senior thesis in this style. I gave presentations in school on this style of programming. So it's just, it's a good piece of my history. And I think it's a, it's a good piece of computer science history that isn't lost and I'll, I'll talk about how Jupiter embraces it, but I want to make sure that it lives on forever. So everyone's homework, go to Donald Knuth's site and read about this stuff. So yeah, Frank, that sounds very familiar to some other concepts that I'm used to even in the world of .NET, like try.net and we like Xamarin like sketches or something and Swift Playgrounds. Those sort of were a hybrid and still are of here's some documentation that visualizes something side by side, the chunk of code that's going to execute. Is that, is that similar, sort of this literate program? Yes, style? it is. And so I would say all these tools, everything you just mentioned, even my ID continuous is an extension of, I like to think, Donald Knuth's ideas. <laughs> so we're all trying to live up to his dreams. And because it really is a, a better way to program. When we were talking about hot reload, Um, I mean, it's different from documentation, but it's the idea of your code and the app can be um, side by side with each other, too. 
it's mixing all these ideas, mm-hmm. documentation and side-by-side execution with your code. So what I want to say is Jupiter is just a very well executed version of this that is language agnostic. It works with any programming language as long as it has the right tooling support. Um, and I think it really has shined uh, for exactly the scenarios we talked about before with like the cloud and ease of setup and all of that. If you've never installed a Python program before, uh, you have to install Python first. You get this little package manager called pip. They We, we call them uh, whatever. Nougats, they call them pip, pip, pip packages. God, I can't even say it. Pip, pip. <laughs> pip. pip. <laughs> um, you use pip. And you can just say um, pip install Jupyter. And then pip will do it. Good job, pip. And then you can type Jupyter Notebook. And a server will run. And this little documentation will start up. You'll say file new. And it'll say what language do you want? By default, it's only going to have Python installed. But you can start there. Even if you don't know Python, you know, whatever. Just start hitting buttons. And then... Um, <laughs> but Frank, I'm not I'm not a Python <laughs> okay. developer. You know I'm not going to write Python. Right. I mean, let's just be honest okay. about it. Let's, it's not really going to... I mean, it could happen. But, you know, over the holidays for my holiday hack, let's just say someone did not try uh, Okay. I, I wasn't going to ask you about that. Okay. So let me tell you, James, about some nice news that came out just recently, November, I guess. (laughs) So we're a tiny bit late, but I've been excited to talk about this ever since. And that is um, .NET Core now officially supports Jupyter Notebooks. And what does that mean? You can use C Sharp and F Sharp in Jupyter Notebooks. Round of applause. Round of applause. Bravo, bravo. That's cool. So what, so I'm sure you've played with it and you've done all the things already. So this means now if I do some setup, when I run that Jupyter notebook thing, I'll get a C sharp F sharp option. And, and, or is it like the same? Can I do all the, the Jupyter Python stuff that I can do? Can I do that in C sharp yep, now? Yep. So let me tell you, cause we skipped over some of the fancy fun features of Jupyter that I want to talk about because it's good for reasons. <laughs> um, let's say I write a function and the function outputs an image and I execute that function in Jupyter. Well, it shows you the image. You know, I don't have to create a window and put an image view in it and then assign the image to the image view. You know, I know it's four lines of code, but I don't want to write those four lines of code. It just does it. And that's nice. Um, If you generate some data, you can tell it, format this as a table and show it to me as a table. So it just has some nice um, data visualization techniques. So those are fun things that come along with if you integrate your language into the system. So probably the best thing out of all of this is my F-sharp code, because F-sharp is a perfect little scripting language. It's so terse, you know, no mm-hmm. curly braces, no semicolons. <laughs> um, it's perfect for scripting. Um, it, it gets all those features, you know. I, if I output HTML, it formats it as HTML. If I output images, it shows images. So I get all those fancy features from the languages I love. I love Python too, but F sharp is so cool. <laughs> well, that's also super nifty, especially for people trying to learn. If you were to document it as you go, it's also really nice because you could share your Jupyter notebook with me and then I could just execute it. And if it's powered by the cloud, then I don't have to do anything. And I can, if, if you've done correct, I assume you can kind of use these as little teaching tools of learning. I mean, not just 
the language, but even machine learning, which is why a lot of people use it, but you could use it as sort of a teaching oh, tool. 100%. And that's why I think this, that's why I brought up Donald Knuth, because I think this is the best realization of his dream so far, because his whole point was he wanted to teach and educate people. And especially in the machine learning world, some of those concepts are very difficult. And so having a million notebooks around that you can just open up and browse through, um, when you save these notebooks, they do something I never thought of, but they like just, well, Kalka does this too, because eventually I thought of it, but <laughs> um, if you just put the data right into the file, even if it's an image and it's a text file, they just base 64 encode it and put it there because they found they want the simplicity of that single file because that's the most important thing. And GitHub has support for this. So if you go create a repo that has a bunch of Jupyter notebooks in it, people can click through and GitHub renders them just as well as Jupyter Notebooks itself renders them. And so it becomes a fantastic documentation aid. I can't wait to, like, if you have an open source library, instead of all your, like, silly little getting started code snippets that may or may not work because they fall out of date constantly, you should just have a getting started notebook and that renders beautiful markdown and has code examples and pictures and stuff. And that's really nifty when it is something like this, where it's pure logic or falls inside of the constraints of whatever that thing can do. So maybe it's using, you know, some charting library or an image or some other fundamental drawing in, inside the browser. That that makes a lot of sense for a lot of the popular libraries. I can imagine, like, you know, obviously all like the timing libraries, the different uh, data visualization, image processing, things like that. You could do a lot of really nifty yeah. notebooks. Yeah, you're, you're talking about the, uh, you're avoiding talking about the pink elephant in the room is how do you build user interfaces with it? And you can't. You, you just True. don't, period. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not what they're for. Uh, but this is, um, keep in mind the world that this is coming from is the scripting world. So they weren't, you could build UIs in Python, but it just wasn't a popular thing. These were scripts you execute at the command line. So moving that command line world into this crazy freeform hypermedia document world, I think is a pretty cool advancement. I almost look at it as like a sidestep to user interfaces. Like user interfaces was one solution to the problem. I see these interactive notebooks as a second solution. Mm. Yeah, that's really nifty. It, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. And now that it is in C sharp, I'm looking at some of the documentation from and blog from Maria. It just sort of this, I like that you can just say, like, here's a person or here's a list of people, classes, and just say display. And it just gives you this beautiful little index of things. You can just throw any data at it. It just puts it in a grid. And that's really nice because, um, again, it's about visualizing the data and understanding the data. And uh, that's yeah, really cool. There was a there was a sneaky little trick they did with Roslyn that they talk about, but they don't talk about. But I don't think people fully appreciate well enough yet is that they created a second language, a second version of C Sharp. And that is the scripting mode of C Sharp, where a lot of the language rules that we think are rules, they kind of throw them away <laughs> to make it a better scripting language. And Roslyn can be put into that scripting language mode. And I'm pretty sure that's the mode that they're running these Jupyter Notebooks in. And it makes it really a much 
honestly just a more fun language to use um, because you don't have to worry about namespace namespaces you don't have to worry about um, you can have global decorations global variables global variables that's all fine <laughs> in the scripting version of c sharp um, not meant for production use but definitely works out beautifully in these environments and yeah it comes with all that free visualizations visualization stuff that has been built into jupiter for 10 years now you know jupiter is a mature product that's what's so cool about it that's really cool okay so we know what it is we know how you can use it i guess the final question that i have for you is like why should i use it in general i mean not like the like there is a why but i want to know like what is the what do I fully get out of it? Like, what is the end end product in which Frank is delivering? And where is the absolute value? Yeah. The absolute value for me is when I'm exploring new ideas, uh, particularly ones not related to the user interface because of the aforementioned limitations. <laughs> um, but I think about, I work on a lot of things that don't need UIs in the beginning, but could hugely benefit from some visualization. So let's just start with, um, I'm thinking about a data model for an app. Maybe this is a good way to store data. I can manipulate it this way. I could update the UI this way. It'll be efficient at this and that. Let's start playing around with that and start typing it in. I don't want to make these sound like playgrounds, like I'm just playing. This is a better way to experiment with code than actually going file new project, making up a crazy project name. Then do you load up Git? All these things kind of get in the way of you just wanting to try out some ideas. And that's where I think this shines. Um, so I, I sometimes, <laughs> I use F-sharp uh, scripts sometimes, and I use F-sharp interactive using tricky key combinations in IDEs. That works, but I think that these Jupyter Notebooks are just a, a much big, or bigger improvement over that. I could really see them being very nice too when I'm exploring APIs oh, all the yeah. time, and I just... Every time I am exploring a web API, oh, what do I got to do? I got to go spin up an app. I got to go put a bunch of code and then I got to debug through it. I got to get the JSON. And this one, you could just sort of slap it in. Yeah. There. Yep. Yep. Um, gosh, I, I hope that they do like F sharp just got NuGet references in the scripting mode. So you can like hashtag include um, Xamarin Essentials. And all of a sudden, I can just start playing with Xamarin Essentials inside of the thing. Anything that would run in .NET Core, I should say. This is all .NET Core stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, now, the text editor <laughs> is not nearly as sophisticated as Visual Studio Code's text editor. Mm. Um, mainly because, um, well... This was written for Python, and they just didn't have the kind of IDEs that we .NETters have taken for granted <laughs> for 20 years. We have such good IDEs. Uh, most people don't deal with those. So they have some basic stuff. They have um, tab completion. So at least you have some form of IntelliSense uh, where you can start typing and hit tab, and it'll give you a few options. So that that's pretty nice. But James, here's the real mind bender. Visual Studio Code has native support for Jupyter Notebooks, and they have a refined Ooh. editing experience within the IDE. Now, this is crazy because now we're going to use an IDE to <laughs> edit notebooks without the web server, though. Does this sound intriguing? Oh, okay. 
It does kind of sound intriguing to me because I like VS Code. It opens really fast. I do a lot of lightweight code editing inside of it. I do a lot of, uh, yeah, I would almost call it, almost that's where I write my scripts. I'm, I'm kind of visualizing JSON or I'm opening files and editing them really quick. I'm not doing full apps. You can, and a lot of people do, but I don't necessarily. So it seems sort of right up my alley mm-hmm. a little bit. Well, what it really comes down to is Visual Studio Code's Python support is way better than the text editor built into uh, Jupyter Notebooks itself. And so it turns out the VS Code mm. IDE's <laughs> extension is way better than Jupyter itself. Uh, but the good news is it uses all the same technology, so all this .NET stuff actually works there too. So you get, yeah, so you get the full, amazing Rosalind C-sharp editor inside these notebooks. You get the F-sharp editor if you're using Ionide. I think that's true. I have to check that. But I think you're getting the Ionide F-sharp extensions. Uh, You're certainly getting the Python extensions. Thank goodness. They're so much better. (laughs) So that's cool (laughs) because uh, VS Code has actually really good C-sharp editing. Anyone out there who's used it knows it's pretty darn good. And so you can have that in the notebook environment. Awesome. That's pretty rad. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, that also seems like the barrier of entry is even lower. You just install VS Code, hit an extension, done. Yeah, I don't even know how that extension works. I don't know if you have to have Jupyter. I I imagine you have to have Jupyter installed for it to work, but I don't know. (laughs) You know, it's one of those things. (laughs) Um, But either, either way, it's super cool. And I just, huge shout out to that team because... You know, it's funny. I still use Jupyter mostly because that editor's fine, but sometimes your scripts get big and complicated and you want a sophisticated editor to help you out. And for those times, I just drag the file over to VS Code and magic happens. Just for the fact that you can use your theme, you know, and you can use (laughs) your shortcuts that you're used to. I think that's a pretty nice uh, addition, too. Yeah, so. uh, it's funny because uh, they use that cell metaphor. So it's a stack set of cells. It's like a stack view and you edit one cell at a time. And the commands to edit those cells are actually the VI commands. Uh, <laughs> so it took me forever to learn how to like navigate around the document using the keyboard until it clicked. I'm like, oh my God, they bound VI. I'm like, I know VI. I know Unix. <laughs> <laughs> so I, finally, I could use this thing. I'm like, I, finally, I understand this thing. Whereas uh, VS Code's a little more friendly. <laughs> it just it, it, it works the way you want it to. Yeah. Uh, And then I want to just cap this off by saying there was that one last part where I said Donald Knuth really got this right, where he understood that I've created this artifact that merges these two worlds. um, But at some point, I want to generate just plain old C code from it. And you can do that, too. So from the command line, you write out one of these notebooks and you can have it spit out just a plain code file itself. And so I do fancy tricks where... I'll be in a notebook and I'll be editing with the notebook, but then at the command line, I can launch it on another machine, not as the notebook, but it generates the script first and then executes just the script. And so you're doing a code gen from the notebook itself. And so it, you really cool. could use it in production. Wow. That's pretty cool. That is nifty. Blows my mind, Frank. There's always something I know nothing. I feel like I know nothing. I feel like I know stuff. And then Sometimes we talk about something and I know nothing at all and it blows my mind and I'm like, hmm, I think I, I think I could use that for something, even if anything, just to kind of have a fun weekend of exploration where 
there's really no big hurdle to get up and running and just give it a try. Yeah. And I think this one is a very small hurdle. If you have .NET Core installed, I think you have to run two more command line uh, command lines <laughs> and you'll have this puppy up and running. Or if that VS Code extension truly is magical, maybe you don't even have to do anything. I don't know. <laughs> Those VS Code extensions are crazy. I don't know how they work. <laughs> I have no idea. They are they are a thing of, of uh, beauty and magic. Yeah, yeah. I've, it bo- boggles the mind. So there's that. So. Good. Oh. All right. Thank you for letting me talk about this puppy. I've been, I, I, I was such a nerd for this kind of stuff in school. I'm still a nerd for it now. Again, see my IDE continuous, see Calca. I'm basically always working on this problem. And so it's just wonderful for me to see um, people really embrace it. And so I hope the .NET community can start embracing it too. Yeah, I'm going to go give it a try. I got a weekend hack project. I'm excited. <laughs> so, all right, Frank. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for inspiring me to go learn yet something new again. And I love it. I always love learning stuff. So going to go do that. All right. Well, I know I've kept you from your beer for the night. So go off adventure. I'm sure you're hitting up Rubens or something. So it's pretty much life. (laughs) Yep. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much again for flying drones with me. I appreciate it. Maybe we'll get out again in the future. But until we do, this has been yet another Merch Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.